Welcome, everybody, to the Three Rivers Talk Show here on the Best in the Online Radio. Once again, your host, Drew Von Silas, up to bring you the latest with your Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh Penguins, and Pittsburgh Pirates. Again, apologies for the delay in getting on air because, well, you just got to love technology and when it chooses to conveniently not be working. Starting today, looking at the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, again, not really a whole lot going on. The Players Union was supposed to be presenting their counter offer today to the proposal that the owners last created. But there has been no report so far of what that proposal has included, what the owners said to that proposal. Of course, as I discussed on Friday, it's very unlikely that the owners would accept. And I'm sure, of course, those details will be coming out later on. Now, the one thing that I do want to focus on is Key Brian Hayes. And nothing bad with Key Brian Hayes, but more so with his management. Because we've seen now this year, this past season, I should say, and even some in 2020, where Key Brian Hayes missed a fair share of games when you look at how many were played in that season. And I'm not wondering if part of that isn't because of how he's being managed and almost being overused, if you would call it that, with the fact of how good he is at third base. Everybody in the Pirates organization knowing how good he is and ultimately taking advantage of that in some regard. Now, what's happening is Hayes will be playing six, seven, eight, maybe even nine games in a row before ultimately getting a day off. And so then when that happens, he's sore, tired, fatigued, etc., especially later in the season, only getting one day off. If that even, he may even have to be used as a pinch hitter. And then the next day, he's out there again for another eight or nine. So what you're going to start to see is this trend with Key Brian Hayes where the longer he goes in between without an off day, the more likely it is that he picks up a nagging injury that sidelines him for, at first, just about 10 to 12 days. And then as the season progresses, those injuries are going to sideline him longer and longer, meaning that he's got to have more days off. As frustrating as it may be for Pirates fans, until Hayes gets into the rhythm physically of playing 140, 145 games, he's going to have to have this sort of rhythm where he plays four or five games, gets a day off. Four or five games, gets a day off. And I know I've critiqued and criticized Derek Shelton hardly before about trying to not resort to that with players in the lineup and calling it Little League style where you're giving everybody a chance to play. When it comes to somebody like Key Brian Hayes, that may end up being what has to be done in order to keep him healthy over the course of a full 162-game season. 
and of course the Pirates are a much better team when Key Brian Hayes is in the lineup for all 162 games, or even if he's missing one out of every five, then they're a much better team with him in the lineup for the games that he is there. And then, as I said, if he needs to be used for a pinch-hitting appearance throughout one of his scheduled days off, then there's nothing wrong with that. We've seen American League teams, even National League teams in 2020, when they want somebody to get a day off, they may use them as a DH because they get three at-bats and they're done. So they will still get some work in at the plate, just not have the responsibility of being in the field. And again, I know that's going to frustrate some Pirates fans hearing that, and I know it's not exactly what wants to be heard. But the situation right now is that Key Brian Hayes is pretty injury-prone. And when he's injury-prone like this, you're not really having a choice but to manage his workload until he can prove to you as a coach, prove to you as the organization that he is capable of playing longer stretches of time without needing a day off and being able to stay healthy. Because until that happens, you're going to be put in a situation like you have been the past two seasons where he may be out for 10 days, and then it's a month, and then it's two and a half months. And he's not getting those reps. It's hurting his development both in the field and at the plate, more so at the plate because he's a gold glove caliber third baseman defensively. But it's still it's still hampering his development. And that's what's ultimately going to hurt the team in the long run. And then you've got to scramble to try and find somebody to play third base in the meantime. Whereas if you manage his workload and you could throw somebody over at third base for just a game here and there every five to six days, something along those lines, then you're going to be in a strong position to keep him healthy. Even if it's one off day a week, he plays six, he sits one. Plays six, sits one. Something like that has to be put in place. And I would be shocked if the Pirates don't try to turn to something like that in order to keep him healthy. Because, as I said already, he hasn't been able to stay healthy in long bursts since he was called up to the team. Of course, this is primarily for 2021 because it was in 2020 in which he made his debut. But even then, there was a stretch of games where he missed and got hurt. And ultimately, it hindered the team and the success that they brought to the table. Now, the Pirates are never going to be an organization to push somebody and possibly make an injury worse. If somebody says they're sore, they're going to get a day off. If they say they have discomfort, they'll get the day off. But Key Brian Hayes, the injuries that he suffered in the past have been more than discomfort or soreness, which is why he has been out for longer periods of time. Of course, whenever this season happens, if it starts at its regularly scheduled time, if it starts later than regularly scheduled I'm very excited for this Pirates roster and you may be 
confused by that statement, trying to figure out what there is to be excited about with this team. But first of all, the summer is better with baseball. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. Baseball is the only sport that plays in the month of July. Of course, in June, you get the Stanley Cup Finals finishing up. You get the NBA playoffs finishing up. NFL training camp will start in July, but the preseason games don't start until August. Baseball is the only sport that plays in July. And, of course, July is also when all of the drama happens with the trade deadline. Of course, there's more to the baseball season than just July, but when you think of baseball, you think of summer, and the two go hand in hand. So just being able to watch baseball again is something that's going to be exciting. Of course, Key Brian Hayes, as I mentioned, if he can stay healthy, he's going to be a gold glove third baseman nominee in terms of the National League. Of course, there's a lot of other pieces. Jose Quintana, can he bounce back? Zach Thompson, what is he going to bring to the table in the rotation? Roberto Perez, can he pick it up in terms of production at the plate while providing gold glove caliber defense behind the dish? Something that he's more than capable of? Who's going to play first base? If we have a DH, who will that be? Will Sutsugo be the DH? Will he play it first? If he's the DH, who's going to play first? There's a lot to be excited about. And then, of course, the prospects as well. Travis Swaggerty, when does he make his Major League debut and stay in the big leagues? O'Neill Cruz, when does he make that return to the Pirates? When does he stay in the lineup consistently? Rowanzi Contreras, same thing. And players like Nick Gonzalez, Henry Davis, Quinn Priester, watching them through the minor leagues as well. But in terms of the Major League roster, the pieces are slowly but surely being put into place. The bullpen is, in my opinion, stronger than what it was last season. Of course, it can still be improved, but it's certainly better than what it was at times. Of course, you will have Blake Cedarland back from Tommy John surgery. He'll make an impact out of the bullpen. You'll have Sam Howard, who can hopefully revive his numbers and pitch more like his 2020 self. Nick Mears will be one season improved. If Dylan Peters doesn't pitch out of the rotation, he'll be in the bullpen. Chris Stratton, of course, the utility member of the bullpen, can be used in pretty much any situation. The Swiss Army knife, you would call him that. Dwayne Underwood Jr. didn't have a bad season last year at all. At times looked a bit shaky, but then there were also times where he pitched very well. And then, of course, David Bednar rounding out the bullpen as the closer. Other arms possibly, including Eric Hanhold. Max Cranick could possibly see himself in the bullpen. And then, of course, any other free agent acquisitions. Miguel Yahure even could possibly start there as well. But the real question for the Pirates, again, I think, is the rotation and then, of course, production at the plate. If the Pirates can get that production at the plate from Perez, from the shortstop at the start of the season, whether it's Newman, Tucker, if it's O'Neill Cruz, you don't have to worry about that. Michael Chavis, even. 
whoever the right fielder is, whether it's Swaggerty, whether it's a free agent that's brought in, because if it's Ben, G- no, not Ben Gamble, if it's Anthony Alford or Alan, I'm struggling to think of his first name here. But if it's either of them, it's not going to happen. Greg Allen, Anthony Alford, neither of them are going to bring strong offense. So that's going to be a big question there for the Pirates. And then, of course, the rotation. Who's in it? How well do they perform? And then ultimately, if they can perform well, the team is really going to see themselves improving. As I've said before, the 2020 season, despite going 19-41, that was a pace of 51-111 and over the course of a full season. Last year, the Pirates ultimately improved. They still lost over 100 games. They sat at 61 and 101. So it was a 10-game improvement from the 162-game conversion of 2020. If they can continue to improve by 20 game or 10 games a season, rather, then that means they're two years away from possibly contending for a wild card spot. At that point, it would be one long stretch of winning games away from possibly sneaking into that wild card. And there is going to be excitement. The Pirates are going to be sending up waves and waves of talented prospects as they continue to work their way through the minor leagues. Nick Gonzalez is already going to be at double way out too in next season, more than likely. Quinn Priester will be set to join him. Henry Davis, if he's not in Altoona, he won't be in Greensboro for long, that's for sure. The college bats and pitchers, even the high school ones like Priester, they're moving through the Pirates farm system quickly. And sooner rather than later, they will make their impact. You're listening to the Three Rivers Talk Show here on the Bethany Online Radio. When we come back, looking at the football side of things, as the Green Bay Packers lost this weekend could potentially change the Aaron Rodgers situation, the NFL overtime rules as a whole, and the defensive coordinator position update for the Steelers. This is the Three Rivers Talk Show here on the Bethany Online Radio. The Bethany Broadcasting Network, or BBN, is a service of the Bethany College Department of Communications and Media Arts. For some 60 years, the Communications Department has been serving the college and the surrounding Bethany community with Bethany News, sports, public affairs, and entertainment programming.
we're back here on the Three Rivers Talk Show. I do apologize if you are a Metallica fan, but unfortunately, we don't have the time to listen to all seven minutes of the song. Now, looking at the football side of things, of course, Green Bay losing this past weekend to the San Francisco 49ers in the divisional round of the NFC playoffs. This was a game I fully expected Green Bay to win, one that which they would more than likely dominate, especially with the cold of Lambeau Field, something that really only Green Bay and any team in the NFC North is used to. But San Francisco went in, they kept the Green Bay Packers offense in check, found a way to force a special team's turnover that they returned to the end zone and kicked the game-winning field goal as time expired. Of course, the 49ers' only touchdown of the game came on that special team's blocked punt. No offensive touchdowns, no defensive touchdowns. But in that kind of an environment where it's cold, it's snowing, and everything is wet, Jimmy Garoppolo really wasn't going to be put in a situation to make plays. They weren't going to air the ball down the field 35, 40 yards like Garoppolo's arm is certainly capable of doing. He almost threw the ball 20 times, 19 to be exact, for 131 yards. Rodgers threw the ball 29 times for 225 yards, but Rodgers is much more acclimated to that Lambeau Field weather. So it's much more understandable as to why the Packers threw the ball more. You have Elijah Mitchell getting 17 carries, Depot Samuel getting 10 carries, and then on Green Bay's end, Aaron Jones with 12, A.J. Dillon with 7. So very clear that the 49ers chose to attack the ground game more with Depot Samuel, Elijah Mitchell, and Green Bay attacked through the air. But the point being is that the 49ers shocked the Packers and are now headed to the NFC Championship game while Aaron Rodgers and company are starting their offseason. I personally think now, with this situation, it changes where Aaron Rodgers is going to go. Of course, he has that opt-out in his contract once the offseason starts. Before these playoffs started, I felt like there was no way Aaron Rodgers would ever consider leaving Green Bay. They had a talented roster. They had the number one seed in the NFC. I fully expected them to either make it to the NFC Championship game, well, definitely make it to the NFC Championship game, either make it to the Super Bowl. If they won, he'd definitely come back. If they lost, he'd come back because he would be so upset that he would want to take it one step further. Or if they didn't advance beyond the NFC Championship game, he would still want to come back because they are just a few steps away and just need to improve a little bit. But now in the divisional round, they are three steps away. Getting to the NFC Championship game, getting to the Super Bowl, and winning the Super Bowl. Of course, Devontae Adams will need a long-term extension in the offseason. He's set to be a free agent Aaron Rodgers has that opt-out part of his contract I would not be surprised now if Aaron Rodgers 
left Green Bay. I wouldn't. And I know I said when these rumors first came out about Rodgers to the Steelers that it was never going to happen. It was worthless to even talk about. And everybody should have just shut up about it. But now I wouldn't be surprised if he opts out. However, him opting out of his contract in Green Bay is not saying he's going to Pittsburgh. It means he's going to test the waters to see what is out there in terms of other teams who can present him the best offer in terms of money while also giving him the best opportunity to win a Super Bowl. Pittsburgh's certainly up there. New Orleans is another team. He could possibly go to Denver and try to replicate what Peyton Manning did. There's a lot of unknowns, but it definitely makes things more complex now with Green Bay losing than had they went on to the NFC Championship game. And Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, they're going to be talking all offseason. Of course, we saw Rodgers target Adams a plenty of, a plethora of times, I should say, in that divisional round game. Pittsburgh's certainly up there. New Orleans is another team. He could possibly go to Denver and try to replicate what Peyton Manning did. There's a lot of unknowns, but it definitely makes things more complex now with Green Bay losing than had they went on to the NFC Championship game. And Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, they're going to be talking all offseason. Of course, we saw Rodgers target Adams a plenty of, a plethora of times, I should say, in that divisional round game Saturday night, almost targeting him a bit too much as he threw to Adams in double coverage that set up the 49ers to get the ball on their final possession and win the game with Lazard and another member of his receiving core open deep downfield. But Rodgers and Adams are going to be in constant communication this offseason, 100%. Adams is Rodgers' guy. If Rodgers decides to leave Green Bay, Devontae Adams is not going to go back. I can almost 100% guarantee that. Devontae Adams is probably only in Green Bay still because of Aaron Rodgers. And if Rodgers leaves, Adams is gone. No amount of money will convince Devontae Adams to stay in Green Bay if he doesn't have 12 throwing him the ball. It doesn't matter how good Jordan Love is currently, how good he could potentially be, Devontae Adams isn't going to stay. Now, you would need a team with a large amount of cap space in order to sign them both. But, again, it's certainly possible. And if Rodgers signs first, Adams may be willing to take less money to be reunited with Aaron Rodgers. Again, I don't see that being a strong possibility right now in Pittsburgh, especially the signing of Adams. That one's even less likely than Rodgers. But time will tell. It's going to be a fun offseason, and the Steelers have plenty of work to do, whether it's involving Aaron Rodgers or not. Now, an update with the defensive coordinator, position for the Steelers. 
Keith Butler has officially announced his retirement. Will not be returning to the team he's done in the NFL. Of course, right away, rumors came out speculating that Terrell Austin was expected to be promoted to defensive coordinator, which frustrated me to hell and back. Because this is exactly what I was talking about on Friday, where the Steelers are going to be cheap and promote from within and not accomplish anything. However, last night around 1030, Tom Palacero of the NFL Network reported that the Steelers put in a request to interview Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator for the Giants. Of course, Graham, well regarded as a defensive coordinator around the league, but what I really like about this report is that it shows the Steelers are considering external options. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get Patrick Graham. It doesn't mean that Terrell Austin won't be promoted. But as of right now, this is a little bit of a positive because they're exploring outside options. Of course, because it's considered a lateral move, meaning it's the same position in one organization that the individual is currently holding in his current organization, the Steelers had to request that interview and the Giants can turn down that request. Of course, the Giants, if they were looking to, if Patrick Graham, I should say, was looking to get a head coaching gig, with the team out of the playoffs, the Giants could not hold him back. But even though both teams are out of the playoffs, it's a lateral move, so the Giants can block Patrick Graham from interviewing with the Steelers. So hopefully there's more reports like this. If Patrick Graham gets the position, it's certainly going to be a shock to me that the Steelers actually made that kind of bold move and went outside the organization. And then the big question is going to be, Will Tomlin be willing to relinquish play calling? That's going to be the biggest thing. If the Steelers go outside the organization like they should and bring in a defensive coordinator, they are going to either have to find one that is okay with Tomlin calling the plays, which, again, I would strongly advise against. But if they don't, How willing is Tomlin going to be to part with that responsibility, something that he has held since the early portions of last decade, around 2012 timeframe, when Dick LeBeau was still in his last years as a member of the Steelers organization. Now, the big subject today is the NFL overtime rules. Of course, This debate is sparked by the game last night, Kansas City-Buffalo, in which Buffalo led late in the game. The Chiefs went down with just seconds remaining on the clock, kicked the game-tying field goal, sent it to overtime. Chiefs won the toss, elected to receive, drove down the field, scored a touchdown, boom, game over. And Buffalo never even touched the ball in overtime. And now there is an uproar because Buffalo, Buffalo didn't get an opportunity to match that touchdown. First of all, 
I completely agree that Buffalo should have been able to get a drive. But in a way, the league had this coming on themselves, and they knew this was going to happen at some point. Two years ago, the Chiefs proposed a rule to change the overtime situation where both teams would get the ball regardless of if the first one scored and if they did score, what number of points they put up, whether it was a field goal or a touchdown. The owners and the league shot it down. Kansas City tried to bring that to the table already. Nobody wanted it two years ago. And I'm sure now they're probably kicking themselves for voting that one down, especially the Buffalo Bills organization. Now, I do fully expect that this is going to create another rule change for 2022 season starting up in September in which the overtime rules will once again change to allow both teams to get the ball regardless. And here's the thing. If you think the current rules right now are unfair in which if Team A forces Team B to kick a field goal on the opening drive of overtime, Team A gets the ball back to at least try to kick that field goal. But a touchdown wins it. A safety wins the game automatically. The old NFL overtime rule was that it was sudden death from the get-go. Team A could win the toss, drive down into field goal range in a minute, 30 seconds, kick a field goal, and the game's over. That was the old NFL overtime rule. And that was even more ridiculous than what the current rule is, which is why they changed it to the current rule. And they're probably going to have to change it again because the NFL cannot continue to have this happen. With the way the overtime rules are currently set up, knowing that those two high-octane offenses last night in Buffalo and Kansas City were putting up touchdowns left and right, as soon as the coin toss was won by Kansas City, everyone knew that Kansas City was winning that game because neither defense could make a play. And all of the critics who are trying to counter those complaining about the NFL overtime rules are making the comment that the Buffalo Bills should have learned how to play defense and stopped Kansas City. Okay, you go out there and do it then. If you can find a way to stop Kansas City's defense in overtime, knowing that a touchdown costs you the game, go out there and do it, whether it's on the field or drawing up the scheme as a D coordinator. If you can't do that, shut up and sit down. Neither team was going out there and getting a stop last night. If Buffalo got the ball first and won the toss, they were going to score a touchdown. Kansas City got the ball, they scored a touchdown and won the game. They have to fix the current overtime rules. Absolutely have to. It's more than just being able to go out there and play defense. The league is highly focused on offense, particularly passing offenses. Corners, linebackers, safeties can barely touch a receiver without getting pass interference called against them. While a sack is nice, while an interception is nice, the league is going to want to see touchdowns rather than 
sacks and interceptions, passing touchdowns more specifically than a sack on interception because that's what's going to give them more money. This is an offensive league. It's always been an offensive league, at least in terms of the past 20 years. Over the past 10 to 15, it's shifted to a passing offense league. It's only going to continue to shift that way more and more. These offenses are getting better by the day. It's harder to play defense, which is why you're seeing games have such high scores compared to 35, 40 years ago. So it's more than just going out there and playing defense. It's basically kind of like basketball, where one stopping one possession where you stop your opponent could possibly lead to a win. They're going to be more shootouts in football than there have been in the past. There's going to be much better offenses than there were in the past. And so Buffalo very easily and very deservedly should have gotten the ball back last night. If they drive down the field and score a touchdown, then I would be okay with them going to sudden death after that and saying, all right, you each had a possession, you each scored a touchdown, now it's next point's win. At that point, I'm fine with it. And again, I know that's going to be a little bit dependent upon the coin toss to say who's going to get that third possession. But that third possession isn't on team's mind at the coin toss. It's the first possession of trying to score when they get the ball offensively, and if they start on defense first, their main focus is going out there and forcing a punt or even a field goal because a field goal is certainly much easier to come back from than a touchdown. And I wouldn't even mind if the NFL went to something like the college rules where after two, after two drives each, they have to start going for two. Something along those lines. Get creative with it. Experiment with it in preseason. See what happens. And if it's not well received, then you change it ahead of the regular season. But something absolutely has to be done with the overtime rules. I'd be saying this if this was Buffalo who won. I'm saying it now that Kansas City won. It doesn't matter to me who won that game. The rules need changed. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. And until that happens, you're going to see teams like Buffalo, who are certainly capable of playing in big-time games, find themselves at home because of the way the rules are set up. You're listening to the Three Rivers Talk Show here on the Bethany Online Radio. When we come back, looking at the Pittsburgh Penguins in terms of Casey DeSmith being pulled early once again, possible backup goaltending targets at the trade deadline, and two forwards that are possibly running out of time to make an impact right here on the Bethany Online Radio.
Three Rivers talk show for the latest now with the Pittsburgh Penguins looking at this past weekend's games in which Casey DeSmith was pulled against the Columbus Blue Jackets after allowing just two goals. Of course, DeSmith was pulled in the game on Wednesday, January the 5th after allowing three goals. Jari came in in the second period. The Penguins ultimately went on to win that game. Friday night, DeSmith gave up two goals in the first period. Joey came in to finish off that game after playing the entire game Thursday night against Ottawa. This has to stop. The Penguins cannot continue to put Tristan Joey in five out of six periods over the course of two games in as many days. They're going to run him into the ground. And he's never going to be able to perform in the postseason when he's fatigued and exhausted playing every single game because Casey Smith can't stop a puck to save his life. The Penguins have to find something in terms of backup goaltending. And, of course, Louis Domingue was certainly an option to serve that as a temporary situation or at least be an upgrade over Casey Smith, but he's on injured reserve now, week to week, with a lower body injury. He was apparently skating past members of the media after the game yesterday, rather. I guess I should say, not Friday. It was yesterday. He was zooming past them with his one leg up on one of those scooters, using his other leg, his good leg, to propel himself. So he's certainly going to be out for quite some time. The Penguins cannot continue to trot out Casey Smith in any back-to-back situation, and Tristan Jari cannot continue to play every night. So now the Penguins are in a situation where backup goaltending has to be a possibility for them something that they need to be looking for at the deadline. Of course, then the question becomes, who do you look at? Of course, there's plenty of names out there. Anton Kudobin, Braden Hopi from Dallas, Peter Morazic from Toronto. If you can get Von Lomov from the Islanders, that'd be a good one. Marc-Andre Fleury isn't going to come to Pittsburgh because he's not going to want to be a backup, first of all. Second of all, his salary cap hit would be way too much. But the Penguins are in a tough spot. They need some help. Alexander Georgiev is another option as well in terms of somebody that the Penguins could look into. That one would be difficult with the Rangers being in a playoff position, not wanting to help out the Penguins. One player that I would like the Penguins to possibly look into in terms of a backup goaltender is Jonathan Quick. Of course, there was rumors about Quick possibly being traded to Pittsburgh last season at the deadline, ultimately never happening. 
but it seems more likely now that it could happen than last season because DeSmith wasn't this bad last season. And the Penguins are more desperate for backup goaltending. Quick right now in L.A. is getting the bulk of the starts compared to Cal Peterson, but the Kings aren't going to contend. They won't even sniff a wildcard spot. They might as well just trade off quick, get what you can in return for him, and turn the net over completely to Cal Peterson to see what you have in him. It's not helping Cal Peterson's development by playing 30% of the time in the NHL. They have to find a way to get him more starts. And trading quick to the Penguins is certainly an option that could help them out. Of course, other options that the Penguins could start to consider is looking at the Buffalo Sabres because they have a handful of goaltenders, one of which is, or multiple of which that are currently out right now, but they can certainly make their way back. Craig Anderson being one of them. I know he's 40 years old, but he could still be, at the very least, an upgrade over DeSmith in terms of the way DeSmith is playing right now. You take a look at Buffalo again, or the eastern part again in Buffalo, Dustin Tokarski. The Sabres are in a goalie by committee right now. Also in Buffalo, Malcolm Subban. There's three options there for the Penguins. Of course, the main guy that I would like the Penguins to get from Buffalo, but... They're not going to they're not gonna be able to find the means to get him is Uko Pekka Lukanen, the Finnish goaltender. Just twenty-two years old. He's primarily going to be their main man down the stretch of the season. Unfortunately, the Penguins aren't gonna give up the resources for him. And then of course, aside from Anderson and Buffalo, Tukarski and Buffalo, Subban possibly as well, you have Jonas Johansson in Florida is kind of the third goaltender right now for the Panthers behind Spencer Knight. Sergei Bobrovsky could ease some depth situations for the Panthers and provide the Penguins with a steady goaltending situation. Or Anton Forsberg from Ottawa is another option. Now, I know the Penguins just lit up Anton Forsberg Thursday night here at home. But Forsberg was at times pretty much held out to dry, or left out to dry, I should say, and never really had a chance on many of those. In fact, the goaltending change was primarily to just try to create a spark within the Senators' team. But the Penguins absolutely have to do something in terms of backup goaltending. And then finally... Two members of the Penguins forward crew that are really running out of time to find a strong and consistent spot in their 12 forwards nightly on a game basis. It's Jason Zucker and Kisperi Kapanen. Kapanen has been demoted to the fourth line twice recently within games. Made a little bit of an impact 
yesterday against the Winnipeg Jets, but you can't keep getting demoted and expect to continue to stay in the line in the lineup. Jason Zucker is dealing with a lot of injuries as of late, and even when he's healthy, he's not producing that much either. So I would not be shocked if at the deadline or definitely in the offseason, if Ron Hextall doesn't try to trade Zucker or Kapanen or at the very least find a way to get them off the books and one way or another find a replacement for them, whether it's in free agency, whether it's calling up somebody from Wilkes-Barre Scranton, someone who's a highly touted prospect, Sam Pauline, Nathan Legare, they come to mind. The Penguins will have to make a decision soon with Zucker, with Kapanen, because they cannot continue to trot them out there on the second line like they've done so as of late and leave Evgeny Malkin out to dry on that second line. Of course, the Jason Zucker deal, the Penguins gave up a lot in terms of resources, a first-round pick, multiple prospects, and right now that trade looks like daylight robbery in favor of the Minnesota Wild. Billy Guerin, who was at the time GM of the Minnesota Wild, completely winning that trade in a lopsided manner over ex-Penn's general manager, Jim Rutherford. Kapanen, at first, showed off some strong abilities for the Pens. Looked like Rutherford made the right move to go out and reacquire him. But now Kapanen is struggling. And for Kapanen, it might just be a bit of a slump. But this has been an ongoing problem for Kapanen all season, really. And when he's getting demoted twice in-game recently, then he's certainly not one that Mike Sullivan is particularly, particularly keen about. And it's harsh for Kapanen, harsh for Zucker, that this may very well be their last season in Pittsburgh if they don't start to get it together. But that's the name of the business. And the Penguins, they don't really have a whole lot of time to waste as things stand now with Malkin, Crosby, and Latang on their way out the door sooner rather than later. You may get three or four seasons more from them before they call it quits. It might be more, it might be less. Only time will tell. But there's no time to waste, and you can't continue to hold on to Zucker or Kapanen in hopes that they will possibly turn things around if they don't do so at some point this season. Kapanen, it's got to start now. He's healthy, he's good to go. And Zucker, it has to start when he finally makes his way back into the lineup and playing on a nightly basis. You're listening to the Three Rivers Talk Show here on the Bethany Online Radio. Thank you all for tuning in today on this snowy Monday afternoon. Hopefully the roads, wherever you may be, are not too bad. Be sure to tune in on Friday at 3 o'clock for the latest with your Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh Penguins, and Pittsburgh Pirates. Have a great day, everyone.